0: So, Berto, in today's episode, I just want to go over some emails from patrons and whatnot. What do you say? That's always fun. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My
1: name is Umberto Castaneda, and I polish footballs.
0: You polish footballs.
1: So, a little-known fact, before every major NFL game, the footballs have to be polished. Otherwise, they don't fly the right way. Ah, so this
0: first email is from patron Juliana. Um, oh, so I should say that I recently have been uh, – I put a call out for people. I've always asked for people to send in their questions, right? Yeah. And people send in their questions and we respond. And it occurred to me – and then someone asked me – I think it was famous patron Linden. He actually asked me like this really simple, tiny little question like um, – you know what's your favorite movie or something? Can you talk about that on the podcast or some, something? really, <laughs> something really quick I could answer. Sure. And I was like, oh my god, I love that! Like a very fast question that sure. that that won't require me to do a deep dive for five weeks. That is just a question, you know, it's <laughs> right. just just a thing. So so we got some of that today. So Patron Juliana asks if you were able to invite three famous psych- psychology types to a dinner party, dead or alive, who would you invite? And why? Oh. So, Berto, I'm going to present mine, but I want you to just think about three people because you probably okay. you probably don't know three psychology types. All right. <laughs> so, for me, uh, do you want to take a guess as to who I would say first here?
1: Um, for your... These are like famous psychologists? Is that what this is? Uh, famous psychology types, yeah.
0: Wait, what do you mean, types? Well, it could be psychologists or other professions or just, you know, related to the field.
1: Oh, I see. Well, okay. Either way, I'm sure you'd want Freud in there. Right. Awesome.
0: So so Fre is definitely my first person. There's so many questions. There's he lived in a different time and I would be so curious to hear his updated opinions about things. Uh-huh. I, I've been doing this deep dive on his view on uh, LGBTQ issues. okay And he had a he had a for his time an extremely uh, modern view viewpoint. Um, oh really yeah uh I mean I'm gonna go into it in another podcast episode but or I already have because this is coming out later but anyway um I and and after him actually his daughter Anna Freud went backward mm. um, and a lot of other people started to get more into conversion therapy, you know but, oh. but, but Freud has this famous letter where he writes this mother and he's like. There's nothing. Basically, the gist of the letter is: there's nothing wrong with being gay, and it and it doesn't really respond to psychoanalysis anyway. So I wouldn't worry about it. Essentially, was his letter.
1: Wow, that is
0: really modern, right? And <laughs> so I, but he did say that homosexuality is an immaturity that is held onto. So essentially, it's like what his what his hypothesis or his theory was is that we're all born a little homosexual, and through maturity, we learn to just be heterosexual. And so if you're an adult and you have homosexual tendencies, you have retained an immaturity. And if if you matured more, you would actually just want to actually be with people of the opposite gender, Um,
1: which is not the best attitude, right? (laughs) I have this (laughs) picture of like, you know, you open the door and you see your buddy Joe and your buddy Steve going at it, and all you can say is, grow up! <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he, so I would really want to ask him questions. I'd be like, there's been research, and here's how our society has changed. And and I, not only just that, but just like his... like I really want to debate with him about his Oedipus complex. I'd want to debate with him about his Wolfman interpretations. There's just a lot of things that I have problems with. I'm just yeah. like... Be- and because in my head he he was there the field wasn't a huge field at the time right and there's very little research particularly in the areas that he was talking about and so he was he basically had to make up a lot of stuff and it's actually genius uh, uh, that he ended up making up stuff that's still relevant today
1: right it's not like you could have been like, so, you didn't watch that one TED Talk the other day? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So,
0: I would want to see if I could convince him that the dumb ideas that I think he had are actually dumb and he could modify Interesting. Them. You know, like the Oedipus Complex, for, exa- for example, of just like, well, so just to tell you research, blah, 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 and here's, you know, and here's my opinion and... What do you, it, it, are Are you really being literal when you talk about, you know, I'd want to, I'd have so many
1: questions. He'd be like, I think you only say that because you have an edible complex. Okay, because <laughs> you have it.
0: Um, another person I'd love to talk to is Virginia Satir. She's, uh, she is, she's not with us anymore, but she was a, a fascinating family therapist uh, from the 70s and 80s that I've seen a lot of videos of. And Again, just so many questions. She was a fascinating person. Very, she was, she's this tall, you know, Scandinavian, Midwestern uh-huh. woman, uh, you know, Scandinavian descent. And she, in her family sessions, would, she didn't just sit and talk to people. She would move around in the seat. She would touch people. You know, she, she wow. would go to a teenage girl and she would, she would put her hand on the girl's stomach. And oh. say like, and say like, is this where your is this where your anger is coming from? And she would hold that the the girl. Now, when, whenever I show the videos to students, they're they're always like just gasping. They're just like, you know, violation, violation. <laughs> Trigger warning. Yeah. Well, they don't say that, uh, but they naturally there's a gasp of just like she's just touching these these right. people without asking. It's a very strange ther- therapist behavior. But she pulls it off, you know. Clients never react badly; they're always, you know, quite um, taken by her. But anyway, I would have a bunch of questions because she had a, she had a kind of an interesting theory as interesting. well about people. Uh, the whole idea about self esteem kind of comes from her, right? Uh, and the I, I cheated, Juliana. You said three; I got four. So I'd also like to talk to Rogers and, and Fritz Pearls. I see it, a duo. Yeah. Little duel. Yeah. Carl Rogers, mainly I just would want to hug him. And with Fritz Perls, uh, I I would want to really argue with that. Play bucket. some
1: chess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what about you, Berto? Who's three? Well, no,
1: I mean, I'll try to keep the theme. So Carl Jung, Jung, how do you say it? Jung, Jung? Yeah, CGU. Okay. And mostly with him, I would start trying to see if uh, Jordan Peterson is, is right about his assessments of Carl Jung's theories. Yeah, um, and then you know, yeah, mostly- actually,
0: Jung would be. I would love to talk to that guy too. Yeah, For similar reasons of Freud because there's just so many questions. I'd be like wanting to update or or try
1: to like say. So when you were saying this, were you saying this? Right, right. Say so, yeah, exactly. And then, um, I, okay. So uh, Jean Piaget, is that okay? He uh, said I would talk to him. He wrote uh, on death and dying. Right, that's one of his books, I think,
0: on Uh, death and dying. On
1: on death and dying. Uh, I think you're
0: mixing it up with um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Okay, then Uh, I want to talk to her. Very different from Piaget.
1: I want to talk to her and Piaget for different reasons. Then, so (laughs) I want to talk to her about that book, which must have been in my dad's bookshelf right next to a Piaget book. Okay, (laughs) Um, because I was always so fascinated as a child uh, of the title. You know, because, oh, that's right. Right. Remember this? I thought it was like, uh, you're on death and then dying. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the, the book was on death and dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but anyways, I wanted, but I, I, I actually, I think it's such a fascinating topic of like, you know, what goes through the psychology of people as they, as they, I, you know, enter those phases of mm. their, of their. I think uh, she
0: recently passed away. Um, Right. So she developed the famous five stages of grief. Yeah.
1: Oh, I didn't know that, but... Yeah.
0: So that would be another great reason to to talk to her. And the book on death and dying is her seminal book that I think might be one of the most popular books. Uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl is another one. So it doesn't surprise me that your dad had that book. He probably also had Viktor Frankl's uh, Man's Search for Meaning. In this in this book by Elizabeth Kubler Ross, she writes about her experience talking with patients in a hospital that she worked at who knew they were, were going to die soon. Yeah. So the the book is on death and dying, meaning that um, the what the experiences are of people as they wrestle with the the fact that right. they are going to die within the next few weeks, and. The book is actually very good. It's a very good book. Um, she talks eloquently and succinctly. It's a short book, actually, about all these different stories and and her ex, you know experience of this. And it's something we don't talk about in our society, you know. Right. And but a tiny little detail of that book is she she talked about phases that people went through. They went. They'd get. They would go into denial about, it's like, Uh I'm I'm not going to die. I'm going to live, you know, the doctors are saying I'm going to die in a month, but they don't know anything or just trying to put it out of your mind, which makes sense, right? If someone tells you, you've got three weeks to live, I'm guessing there would be at least a portion of time where you're just like, no. Yeah. Oh, wait. So there's shock. So you go, so there's shock of just like, wait, what, 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 what?" And then there's denial. And then there's like anger. Then there's bargaining. Right. So the bargaining thing always confuses people when it comes to grief because it's like, well, how do you bargain with grief? And you know they sort of adapt that. But originally, it's like, well, if I pray to God, right? Sure. You know, I can bargain with God. It's like I'll dedicate the rest of my life to, to to charity if you let me live another five years or something. So that kind of bargaining and then acceptance. Yeah. And and so the five stages. So the five stages of grief became. What Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was known for entirely, Mm -hmm. she became extremely famous for these five stages of grief, which I think is a little bit of a tragedy because if you actually read her books, the five stages of grief aren't like a, especially in the beginning, aren't like a big part of her writing. Oh, interesting. Um, And her books are actually still completely relevant today. Anyway.
1: Well, so so the, the interesting thing is, picture, I think I was maybe eight and I was lying... On my dad's bed, like maybe a lazy Saturday morning, and I'm looking at his bookshelf and I see that book. And and you think it's like
0: someone writing about how I was on top of death.
1: Yeah, well. (laughs) And I was dying. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't quite make out the exact meaning, but it felt scary, you know, like it felt like sort of a Halloween type book, you know? And I was like, and I remember I did ask my dad eventually. I'm I like, was wrestling with death and I got on top of him. <laughs> exactly. And then I started dying. So that was fascinating. But, but, um, but, anyways, I would also want to, I actually would like to talk to Piaget because, um, I think, so I'm, I'm very interested in artificial intelligence and in computers and things like that. Um, and there is so much, I think, of the research he did about, uh, that, that is applicable about how, like, children can learn and, um, I think that it's it, – it, I would be very interested to talk to him about that. Great. Children. So, <laughs> talk to him about children. So let's go on to uh, next. We got patron
0: Debbie. She wrote in a follow-up to our uh, my episode in which I talked about pedophilia. And she brought up a number of interesting points that I wanted to talk about. Oh, right. To talk we did about. that. And so she she said there's actually – because in the podcast, I'm like, maybe there is a movement for for pedophiles – people who are attracted to kids sexually who uh, want to uh, remain abstinent and not abuse children. Mm-hmm. And she said, there's actually a, a movement called virtuous pedophiles Interesting. who are non-offending pedophiles. So, so there's that she, she also, I, I, you know, in that, in those episodes, I did a couple episodes on pedophilia and I tried to stay away from doing a lot of talk about why it develops in people But I did go into it a little bit. You know, I I went into that um, discussion about how you develop fetishes. Yeah. And so, and by extension, how a child might develop a sexual attraction for children because they basically become imprinted early in life to associate sex with, with, with prepubescent people or people of a certain age because of weird things that happen or abuse or something. And, but what I should have said in that episode is like, look, I'm not going to lay out all the theories of how this develops because sure. I just don't have time to do that. But anyway, Debbie points out one possible cause that I didn't talk about, which is that sometimes a child or a young person, a, say, a, you know, a 15 year old or a 14 year old, let's say it's a 14 year old boy feel for whatever reason lacks social skills and is not very comfortable around people his own age. Okay. So 14-year-old boy he wants to have sex as any 14-year-old boy or as many 14-year-old boys do. And he's like he starts to try to interact with other 14 year old girls, but he has a complete lack of social skills or he you know has serious yeah. deficits and he has an, and, or he's always had trouble relating to people's own age, but through his experiences, he's learned, I can really relate to six year olds and seven year olds. Oh. You know, so as, as I've been growing up developmentally, I feel much more at ease with people who right. are five years younger than me. And so as your sexuality emerges, you end up uh, attaching sexuality to younger people because mm-hmm. you just feel comfortable with younger people i see so so that's one also she she talks about how there's a lot of uh, Patron Debbie apparently specializes in this, I think. But anyway, she she talks about how there's a horror stories of pedophiles seeking out counseling and being rejected by therapists who refuse to work with them. Oh wow. So there's that. Um That doesn't help. And she also we did talk a little bit about sex offender restrictions and the sanctions they put on, you know, they yeah. they say you can't be within a school and you have to register and all that stuff. And she she had she had no good words to say about this sort of stuff cuz she says that basically what this does is it isolates the offender from society and it makes it so that the offender can't integrate and have a normal life anymore and so oh. they end up being more likely to offend because you know cuz you imagine you're a you're a registered sex offender and you want to live a good life yeah but because you're labeled this way, you can't get a job, you can't make friends, you can't date. Oh, man. And then you're just like a frustrated, isolated person <laughs> who's like drinking, and you're just like, fuck it, I guess I'll just do it, you know what I mean? So oh. so that's what she was talking about. Also, she brought up uh, the the book called The Trauma Myth, and because I basically talked about how... Uh, I was probably giving the impression that I believed that all pedophiles were sexually abused. Mm. And that's not, uh, that's not the case when you look at at the, at the research. And I was probably exhibiting a point of view that like every bad thing that every adult does is, you know, due to child abuse, Mm -hmm. which is, is not true. Humans are more complex than that. Abuse and mistreatment and neglect and weird stuff that happens as kids definitely plays a role and can absolutely be a factor later in life. So it's not as if trauma or weird experiences as children don't cause problems. I mean, we've talked about how you were abused when you were a kid and how that created complications later in life. Um, But what she is contending is like there's this other area where essentially when you're sexually abused as a kid, and maybe you can comment on this, that the actual sexual abuse itself – is is not traumatic. The trauma happens when you grow up and or later on, and people their reaction to you in terms of what happened. You know. Oh, I see. It's like people are like, "Oh my God, what happened?" You know, that's so shameful. Or it's so horrible. And you're just like, "Huh, I didn't know it was horrible." And then that proceeds to create a complex in one's mind that creates all the symptoms. What do you think about that? Brian?
1: I think that must vary dramatically on the details of the abuse. For example, I struggle, really struggle to imagine a case where sort of a violent older older adult relative to a younger child... Uh, set of incidents wouldn't be traumatic, right? But on the other hand, I could certainly imagine many cases where, you know, the the 15-year-old cousin and the eight-year-old cousin did some stuff and it's not right and whatever, but maybe they felt, maybe the younger person felt okay about it uh, and years later it comes up and then they it's like, what? That's horrible. You were this, you were that. that I could see how that would be post-traumatizing or maybe at least bring up Things that weren't previously affecting them. That
0: yeah, I think it's extremely complex, and the road to adult dysfunction has many uh, many tributaries, and that our reaction when people dis- when people uh, grow up and they look back on their life and they're like, wait a second, was I sexually abused? There are cases in which the way our society frames that experience can actually create complications for people. Anyway, let's go on to the next. So patron Debbie, I just want to thank you for your very interesting email. Uh, I liked patron Debbie's email because I actually learned a lot reading it. (laughs) And and I also was like, Oh, I probably should have talked about that too. Interesting. Um, There you professionals out there of which I know there are many of you if you ever have technical knowledge where you're just like, ah, I don't think Kirk gets this, let me send him a quick paragraph, You know, educate yeah. him in this area. I love that kind of stuff. With offensive language and calling you all sorts of bad names. Yeah, exactly. All right, listener Jennifer wrote in, and she writes, if you could have any Star Wars character as a client... <sighs> Who would you choose and why? Oh, what a great question. <laughs> she also says, also, that trailer. <laughs> have you seen the new trailer? Well, I've been in the theater
1: when the trailer has been no, but playing. There,
0: but I think there's a there's a yet. a No, I oh, have stayed oh, away. Right, because remember, we saw a movie recently. Yeah, and, and you're and like, the like new, close your eyes. <laughs> the new tra- well, the new trailer came on. And I look over at you, and you're looking at it, yeah. Because normally you close your eyes right. and plug your ears. And That's go, true, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Why are you doing that?" You know. Yeah. Um, but I did eventually not watch. Yeah, me too. I I, I kind of glanced at it, but I heard that there's a lot of a lot of sort of information they give spoilers in yeah. the in the trailer, and so um, I mean, some of it might be misdirection, and some of it anyway. Yeah. Um. So, uh, for me,
1: who I would like as a client. Uh, who do you think I would like as a client? Okay, this is someone you're going to treat. Um, well, I mean, I, I think you might actually want s- a really hard problem like Anakin. Right. You, you know me forwards and backwards.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, Anakin. Because the, the most benefit can happen if it works. Yeah. You could save the galaxy. <laughs> right. If you, if you get him to be more insightful, you know, like, um, you could, he, then he could, potentially bring balance to the force by killing the emperor earlier. Right. You know, um, and and not kill all those younglings. You know?
1: Right, and not care so much about sand.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was taking notes for this, I realized that the word younglings is recognized by MS Word, which is funny. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I would, after episode three, you know, as he's still a good person in episode three, I I would want to help him grieve his mother's death.
1: Wait, he what? He's still a good. No, he's not. Yeah, he's He's already murdered. Well, midway through episode three, he's a good guy. Oh, but you said after episode three. Oh, well, you mean after episode two?
0: um, I would want him. I would want him as a client mid before he kills the young. Before he kills the younglings, yes. And I would want to help him
1: grieve his mother's death. I mean, because that was really hard for him, and he blamed himself. So he's already slaughtered some sand people. Or some whatever. Right, lo- which is a, an atrocity,
0: but you could say they kind of deserved it because they, you know, <laughs> right. they were... Is this what you're going to tell them? Listen, I mean, they sort of deserved your murdering of them. <laughs> but I would, I would want to uh, help him deal with the grief of right. that and to not blame himself and also be able to deal... Because you could say Anakin's primary problem is that he couldn't accept the fact that people died. And that's, right. what, that's what turned him. It's like, and his attachment to people was so strong. And he, uh, you know, just, th- it's like, well, if there's a way I can save people from dying, then I'm going to do that.
1: Right. Cause that's why he wanted the powers. That he wanted the p- the power to bring people back. Right. And so would you try to cure his bad memory about not remembering he built C three PO. Yeah, I would also try to help him
0: communicate better with the council. I mean, he clearly <laughs> right. he clearly wanted to become a, you know a Jedi Knight. He wanted to become respected, right. and and he was you know having trouble. It's just basically a work a work problem. You know, sure. he wants to get promoted. Yeah, and he's and he's paradoxically because he's being a dick about it, they're not going to promote him. You right. know that. So it's just like you know, take your time. You're young and blah blah blah. The other thing I would want to help him with would be trying to figure out whether or
1: not he should be a Jedi or not, because he really loved Padme. Right. He was, he's sacrificing potentially a a lovely family that he could have. Yeah. It's like there's other, you can be force
0: sensitive And not (laughs) be a Jedi. Poor sensitive sounds like a. (laughs) You you could be a a good guy. You could still work for Jedi Council, but you just can't be a Jedi Knight. No harm, no foul. Marry Padme. Let it come. Let it come out in the open.
1: Have kids. Have a good life. Right. And do something
0: else. You know, you're still probably
1: going to give birth to a sort of or a sort of Leia and Luke. You know. Um. So what about you, Berta? Who? Oh my gosh! No question. Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) Think about it. Like, what a fascinating, like, simpleton, right? Like, and you, and and especially because I'd be trying to get at, like, is he actually evil? Is he actually controlling all of this? And it'd be a challenge for me, you know, uh, because he's, if he is evil, he's going to be trying to Jedi mind control me. So, like, part of it is me recording the sessions and trying to see later. Now you're just trolling everybody. Oh! Ah. So, we're going to go see episode eight in December. We,
0: we got our tickets already. Yay! Uh, I, I have tickets for both opening
1: night and then the next night. And I have tickets for opening night and a week later. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, predictions, what do you think? Well, no, I I mean, it's going to be good, darn it. Um, but predictions plot-wise, is that what you mean? Yeah. Ooh, that's... I. Even predicting is sort of spoilery, but I guess I'm going to say, no, of course Luke's not going dark side. That's – I can't have it. Cannot he, have but it. But he could go middle
0: road. Uh, like Didn't you hear – were there people talking about like you got you got the light side
1: and the dark side and the gray and, side? And the gray side. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear about the gray side, damn it. Uh, I do want to say um, – so re- relationship-wise um, – What's her name? Not Padme. Um, Ray. 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 Ray is not Luke's daughter. I, I don't. I don't think it's Luke's daughter. And I think in the end, there's no, rem- there's no romance going to happen between Ray and freaking Kylo. Kylo. No Raylo, Rey. huh? No Raylo. You're not a no. Raylo shipper.
0: No, I'm not a Raylo shipper. Now. Um, what about this Last Jedi bit? What, what's you know? I think in the trailer, I did see Luke turn around and he's. I think, oh, talk, what, what? Ah. He's talking to Ray and he's just like. We've got to end the Jedis, essentially. As well, fine. But the last
1: Jedi could be both of them. You it's know, time for the Jedis to come to an end. Jedi something. can be plural, you know. Yeah. And, and he may mean not like as we have to kill all of the Jedi, but rather like we need to change how things work. And so this order doesn't work anymore, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Like, it's like ending the Catholic Church. How, how is Leia? <laughs> Leia has to die. Right. oh my gosh and Han already died so Leia how, so to how die. is Leia
0: gonna die do you think do you think it'll be a confrontation with with Kylo or with Luke or what's gonna happen
1: no we can't have Kylo killing both Han and Leia that's too much it's a bridge too far yeah Leia's gonna sacrifice herself in some ship Ooh, it's crashing into like one of them big things
0: well what what do you think um what do you think Kylo and the new emperor uh, what's his name? Uh, Snoke, Snooky, Snooky. <laughs> uh, what do you think they have in store
1: for? So the- Snooky wanted Kylo to get damaged because apparently that's part of the equation. So he needs to now complete his training. Because think about it, like Darth couldn't complete his training till he was damaged, uh. and you sort of sort of got the impression that the Emperor needed that to happen. And one of the theories I heard or read or something was that pain is a big part of the equation. Uh. And so you cannot reach into the depths of the dark side without feeling ultimate pain. But what's their next move? Yeah, the first order. So first of all, Kylo's going to be initially like doubling down on his thing, but I think he's got a lot of remnant, second self doubt and second guessing now. So I don't, I don't know if he's ultimately, I think he's going to end up in a situation where he regrets his choices, but in the short order, um, Let's see. They have to... They've just gotten their base destroyed. But Snooky's is not... He, where was Snoke? We don't know where he was, right? He's in some undisclosed location. Yeah, we don't know where he is. So where he could he also is, be like five inches tall. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I think what they're going to try to do is basically um, take over strategic uh, military locations. Like almost like invert the formula. They're the rebels now. You know? Interesting. Well... If they follow the typical story arch of
0: the three, the trilogy, some something really horrible has to happen by the end of this episode. You know, but something horrible already happened. What Han? Yeah, but he wasn't like a central character to. He's not a oh, he's not a central character to this new series. Sure,
1: but I mean, other than Luke losing his hand and Han getting frozen and Car, I see what you're saying. So those are pretty bad. You got, you got <laughs> Luke losing
0: his hand. So you got you got the three people. Yeah. Luke loses his hand and and Han, Han gets frozen, basically, and frozen and taken away. And, and as so, a kid, you're
1: basically like, they killed Han, right? Yeah. And so
0: something like that. Ha- so that you know, the ending of Episode Eight has to be that that sad John Williams song, you know. Um, so we're going to um, my uh, for my birthday
1: we're going to go to Star Wars Trivia do you want to go so uh, that weekend I might be in Leavenworth oh but if you're not if I'm not it's not a weekend it's on a Monday oh then probably is it a holiday do you like me because if you don't like me you don't have to go well I don't like you but I want to go to Star, Star Wars Trivia <laughs> it's, on a, it's on a Monday okay if it's on a Monday and that's not a holiday then probably okay yes the yeah. reason is because I know that that weekend I'm going to be in Leavenworth, uh-huh. but it's probably just the weekend, so I'm yeah. probably back Sunday. You're just making excuses. You just don't like me I'm, I'm not. I promise you this was a pre-booked ordeal. So, I
0: think I'm pretty... So, if anyone else wants to go, because Britta won't, but it be... It's,
1: I'm going on Trivia Night, even it's, if it's, I have to walk, it's Dece- crawl back from Leavenworth. It's
0: on December 4th at the Crocodile. I'll, I'll probably be there. In so, the, yes, in the back I'm room.
1: going to your Star Wars
0: Trivia Night. Okay. If, if if any of you people want to go and say hi, i uh, do so. Oh, also, by the way, we're
1: going to have a live have event. Listener... Oh, no, it's not a listener party. It's a... What is it? A live... Live... Podcast well, live. Well, it's a live. It's a live show.
0: I don't think I'm going to record it though, because I don't want to have to deal with that logistic. Okay, so
1: it's a live event. It's a live
0: event. You can only. You will miss if you're not there. At right. It. Some people are wanting to webcast it. You know, I, I. That might be kind of hard. So it's going to be. In January, I think January twenty-seven. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start putting out a word, you know, more details as as come in. But. I'll finally reveal details about my job. Yeah, and so Berto and I are going to uh, be there, and we'll we'll play tougher bluff. And I'm I'm thinking actually another thing that we might do at the live event, Berto, is um, show pictures of us in a, in the past. You know, have, <laughs> nice. a, have a slideshow of and maybe maybe tell stories or something. Yeah. Um, bore everyone to tears (laughs) yeah this is the first the first uh open public live event that we're gonna have people are already making travel plans someone asked about a hostel in seattle and the only one that i really know about is the green tortoise which is which is Uh, pretty close i just watched hostel one through three again (laughs) so (laughs) so um if people uh again i think it's january 27 if you go to if you like the our facebook page i'll be posting i might even make a facebook event i don't know anyway uh, more details to come nice. uh, but save the date for january 27 i believe all right let's take a break and when we get back let's continue with emails all right we're back from the break if you haven't become a patron of the podcast yet do so now go to patreon.com when you become a patron you get access to all of our different secret patron episodes also, you don't have to deal with commercials as much, which is kind of nice. Okay, let's talk about Star Wars. Um, now, since you might be there at Star Wars Trivia with me... I will be there. I thought that we might go over some Star Wars Trivia right now. Uh because I'm, because I'm figuring... Yeah, we got to prep because we're probably going to lose. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, there are lots of nerdy nerds out there. Yeah, that, that's the one thing you realize when you go to trivia events <laughs> is like, holy crap, there are some trivia nerds some out there. Some verticals. Yeah. Um, okay, so... What location stood for the forest moon of Endor? What uh, what location on, on Earth? Where did, oh, where did where they did shoot they film the scenes that? Of, of, of Endor? Right. Moon, okay. Moon. Well, I
1: know that they did. Uh, Hoth was um, Tuni- Tunisia. Oh, no. Tunisia was the desert. And then Iceland, I think, was Hoth. Was it Iceland? No. It was, no, uh, no. It was Norway. Norway. Okay. So uh, Endor was in Canada. Nope.
0: Redwoods, California. Uh, See, oh, of course, we're I knew busy. that. What's the name of the famous sound effect that can be heard in every Star Wars movie?
1: Oh, the it's force. Actually, it's it's
0: a, the it's the um, it's the. Uh, I'll give you another hint. It's actually in a lot of other movies too. Oh, so
1: you're not talking about the fifty hertz, the the force, right? Okay. Uh, oh the the Wilhelm scream yeah
0: very good the Wilhelm scream what game do Chewbacca and R2-D2 play in A New Hope
1: it's uh, Wizards Chess Harry (laughs)
0: it's (laughs) Dejaric (laughs) Dejaric is that what it's called yeah what bounty hunter did Han Solo kill in episode 4
1: Um, episode four, he killed Greedo. Yeah. And, and Greedo shot first.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What Japanese filmmaker did George Lucas famously borrow from while making the Star Wars? Uh,
1: from the, um, hidden fortress from, uh, Kurosawa. Yeah.
0: Luke Skywalker's lightsaber was what color?
1: Well, that's a trick question. Oh, nice. The one he built was green. And the one that he was given from his father was blue. Nice.
0: Okay, so let's go on with some more patron emails here. Uh, We have from uh, Chad wrote in. He's he's saying, what's up with Jim Carrey? I've been fascinated by these recent interviews with Jim Carrey where he keeps talking about how Jim Carrey never existed, there is no me, etc. I understand his girlfriend committed suicide a couple years ago, and there's been a lot of drama surrounding her death, a wrongful death case being brought against him, by her
1: estranged husband, etc. Did you know about that? I I heard about this, but I don't know the details. It I saw an article on one of those sites talking about it. Like what? Like how would Jim Carrey what, it be responsible in some? Way. I, I don't know, but do you do you think he's pulling a Prince? You know how when Prince had to change his name to a symbol for legal reasons so that he could get out of a contract. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, my God. It wasn't an artistic choice. Or maybe it became it. But uh, maybe maybe Jim is doing a similar thing where it's like, there's never been a Jim Carrey. Yeah. Um, so, Chad
0: asks, has Jim adopted this existential dissociative philosophy as a coping mechanism? Is he okay? Is this normal? Is he losing it? Or is he, in, on, to, is he
1: on to something? Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Brito, what do you think? Well, first of all, Jim Carrey has always been an extremely fascinating individual. Like, I don't know, did you ever watch his stand-up and his interviews when he was young and all these things? No. Uh, the guy was never off; he was always on, like right. sort of like Robin Williams, you know. And um, second, he has he has had a very interesting career because he's had some dramatic roles that I really respect. Yeah, and then Eternal Sunshine. Right. And then for a while, he was making the most money out of anyone.
0: Yeah. Right? The thing that I think some of our younger listeners might not know is that Jim Carrey was the 90s. You right. Know? He, it, it was like, there were years where he was in like two or three blockbuster <laughs> yeah. movies. He was
1: getting paid the most money of anyone at the time. Yeah. And so, so there's all that, right? And then the flip side is recently I've seen this stuff about him being an artist and then yeah. legitimate art, yeah. you know, and doing all these things. So either he's going the Shia, Shia LaBeouf route, what do you which mean? well, with Shia LaBeouf, uh, at first it looked like he was just doing these really art- interesting artistic things, but I think he's also got some dependency issues on on substances. Yeah. Um, so well, clearly, I mean, there's several videos of Shia LaBeouf like yes, getting into altercations with cops, yes. and, and saying, "Do you know who I am?" Right. So I I feel like maybe in Jim Carrey's case, he might have done too many drugs. Right. Uh, the flip side is. He may be really into, you know, like a part of his life where he's meditating all the time and getting deeply into art and turning into one of those esoterics that says stuff like that. Yeah. Like, you know, Dali and all these people that are like, you know, the world is square. Well, are you saying that it's a, an affectation or? Well, but I mean, it's hard to like, did, was John Lennon putting on an affectation when he was sitting in bed with Yoko? no right um, like it's hard to say it's, right. it's, it's what i'm saying is maybe it's something that in the back of his mind is like well I, i'm still jim carrey but a lot of him is saying no i'm not jim carrey yeah. and i and i it's hard to tell because he seems super committed to his art and to the this kind of new way of being but but it could just be drugs <laughs> it yeah could just be drugs <laughs> well so uh here are my
0: thoughts in terms of him losing it, I don't think he's losing it. I, I've seen enough interviews with him to, to uh, take a stab and say that he, his brain is working fine. He, yeah. he doesn't seem to be disoriented or anything like that. He seems to be quite sharp still. Um, yeah, I'm guessing he is definitely suffering from something. I mean, imagine your girlfriend dies and... Uh, and so, so there's two scenarios. One is is that he was responsible in part for his girlfriend's death. Sure. In which case, that's got to mess you up. Or you were no totally not responsible for it. But she still died. But she still died, yeah. and now people are blaming you, right? And society is now looking at you funny. You know, it's like you were right. you were this comedic, funny guy, and now all of a sudden. Your your your. Did you were right. you partially
1: responsible for your for your girlfriend dying? Well, and do you remember? So he was uh, married w- to um, what's her name from uh, McCarthy? Yeah, Jenny McCarthy, and they had a son, and he was autistic, right? And do you remember that they they got onto all this anti-vax stuff and all these things? Yeah, and he was very militant for a while about that. Yeah. Um. So I think he was already struggling with a lot of it. Very. The heavy emotional stuff years back.
0: Right. So, the little I know about Jim Carrey's life is he and his family lived in a van, I think. They were homeless, I think in Canada. I'm not quite sure. So, I think he had kind of a difficult life. And I think he developed comedy as a way of coping with all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think he, you know, has been struggling with some demons his entire life. But, yeah, when I, the, I haven't seen all the interviews, but I've seen enough to indicate to me that he's putting on a show. You know, you're Jim hmm. Carrey and you're this huge personality and you're always, and you know, whenever the camera is on you, people want to know what you're going to do. And so I think, I think it's two things. I think, I think it's a few things actually. I think on one hand, I think he's tired of being the funny guy. You know, he's just, imagine being Jim Carrey (laughs) and people shove a microphone in your face.
1: Be funny, funny guy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know, be funny monkey. And you're just, and you're just like, God, you know, I just, I just don't, I don't want to do that anymore, you know, but he still wants fame because if he didn't want, the attention. Why is he going on Jimmy Kimmel? Right. Why is That's he right. showing up to fashion shows and, right. <laughs> and yelling at, you know, uh, interviewers? <laughs> why is he doing documentaries about his art? I mean, he right. clearly likes to be in the, in the spotlight. Right. And so, so, so why would you do that? I mean, if you're legitimately losing your mind or if you're legitimately over v- it, yeah, yeah, over it, then just do something else. Yeah. Don't, don't go on Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. You're not pushing any movie or anything. Just do your art. You probably yeah. make a good living because uh, people would be like, "Oh, I wonder what Jim Carrey is doing with his art." You know, he probably has a, a shit ton of money in the in the you know in the bank.
1: And so I wonder if he's pulling a remember Juan, Joaquin Joaquin yeah, Phoenix right. and he really owned it for like a year and then the I don't movie think came
0: out? I don't think Carrey's doing that. Um, <laughs> I'm, he might claim that later on because you know he did do that movie about Andy Kaufman. Right. And so he could be adopting. So I think that's kind of integrated into there too. You know? He
1: certainly had a lot of respect for Andy Kaufman. Right. And and now there's, did you hear there's this documentary coming out of the making of that movie? Yeah. Which seems fascinating. Yeah. So I, you know, I, there are, there are clear
0: motivations that he still wants to be famous. His, his organization, his, his thoughts are not jumbled. He, he he definitely at, at, at any time he comes across as jumbled. From my observation, it seems like he's trying to come across as as jumbled. He's spouting a lot of like college stoner things, you know. Like I'm not Jim Carrey, man. You know, Jim Carrey does you know, It's just like, come on, you know. <laughs> like it's like he's trying to act enigmatic. I'm not Jim Carrey. Yeah, and and it's like it. Again, if 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 I was just hanging out with Jim Carrey and he was talking this way, I'd be like, oh, okay. But he's going on TV and he's showing up at fashion shows and he's doing all those other things. And it's like he's trying to, he's absolutely seemingly trying to portray himself in a certain way. Now, is he suffering? I would guess yes. At the very least, having your girlfriend die. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so is he suffering from something? Is he mentally ill? I, I don't think so. Is he like actually when you watch the documentary about his art, he comes across as totally calm, yeah, totally coherent. He he just loves art. He's right. just like man, you know the colors. And then you look at his paintings, and and you're actually like, whoa, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, you know? like, like the guy is multidimensional. <laughs> yeah, I mean he his paintings are actually pretty interesting and 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 different. Like he has a he has some different styles
1: that he's kind of dealing right. with. Because I I mean. His talent level was off the charts because he, you know, physical comedy wise, like almost no one could touch him, right? Yeah. And then he, he was intrinsically funny. Like the way he said things, the, the way he, he like phrased everything, such yeah. an intuition for it. But then he turns out to be a great actor right. on top of it. And now he's like an artist,
0: yeah.
1: like a legitimate artist. Like it, it's crazy, right? So, uh,
0: if I, it's, and I think that. For him, he's. I think he's like, probably. I think there's a few things that could be. This is all speculation, of course, but I think there's another part of it of like, he's probably not getting the best roles anymore. And so he's probably like, well, so I don't really have to put on that act anymore of being like, (laughs) being, being like liked by everybody. Sure. But I like being famous and I like my art. And I w- and I'm really into my art, so I want people to pay attention to that. There's also this thing that kind of happens in art shows that I think encourages people to act enigmatic, because <laughs> when, when people go to yeah. an art show and they and they meet the painter, they meet the artist. What they don't want to hear <laughs> is the guy's
1: like, "I don't know, I just
0: fucking paint." <laughs> That's
1: what I was gonna say, just tell me about this painting. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, do you like the colors? I like the colors. Yeah. <laughs> Or
0: like I don't know I saw this picture in Vogue and I kind of wanted to like replicate it and it came <laughs> and it came out weird and <laughs> it didn't I mean trust me what you're seeing is not what I tried to paint so I went to the Seattle art art fair uh-huh. uh, a few, couple months ago I think you better sell pictures on Facebook when, it, when I went yeah and there's thousands of artists mm-hmm. in this in this one you know convention center in downtown Seattle. And I got a chance to talk to many different artists, and it was so interesting to to see the the way different artists present themselves. Interesting. And there was this one guy who um, presented himself in this very normal way. He was just like he he was just kind of like I don't know. I just kind of like doing it. It's just sort of an obsession of mine, and <laughs> and it's just I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. And he he talked. Like a frat guy, actually, like the the things the uh, stereotypical frat guy, like the things he talked about, he w- he just he he didn't have that art that artist <laughs> yeah. persona, and I walked away from that going like that was weird, you know. Like <laughs> what I want to hear is like it symbolizes my inner madness, right? You know, and the yeah. vastness of the. I, <laughs> I, I looked, I was watching Carl Sagan, and I had the connection with with the universe and.
1: And this is what I saw, you know. That's that's what you want to hear. Like you're like, what does this apple symbolize? It Figures the bourgeois, like you would say something like that, right? That's what you want to hear, man. You don't want to hear. I don't know. It just kind of looks cool. Yeah. And, and so,
0: so it, it totally encourages that because that's just the culture of. Have we just totally trashed artists? <laughs> no. I I love one. I love art, and I have actual art. F- art. Right. Actually, one of the reason why I went went there is because one of our very first guests on the show Patrice Donahue who was the sand Tray therapist right. that did a Sand, tray. sand That tray. was like that was like episode 4 or something. Yeah. People still watch that it's from 2008 people still watch oh, that all I the loved time. that.
1: I still have my pictures from that.
0: Yeah and so she actually is still a friend of mine and got me tickets to get you have to be I think you have to be it was the opening night when in which it's a lot less crowded and I they see. have like free Drinks and food and stuff.
1: You haven't used me as a guinea pig in a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, we got to get, get the last one would have been yoga therapy, maybe or improv mm, improv therapy. Yeah, or, I don't
1: remember the last one, but music. Therapy. Those are always fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. uh Anyone out there who lives in the Seattle area and you want to torture bear come on the podcast and make Berto into a, a, a guinea pig. But but yeah, so I think that might be part of it too. Again, it's all speculation. Uh, but I don't think he's going mentally ill. It'd be very unusual for someone to develop some kind of delusional disorder at that age anyway. All right. Let's go on to another email. This is from patron Bridget. This is a follow-up to common confidentiality mistakes. I
1: just stabbed my eye trying to scratch my eye. Why would you do that? Because <laughs> I have no coordination. I bang like my finger into my eye really hard. <laughs> and you probably got some polish in your eye too. <laughs> yes. Football polish. Uh, Patron
0: Bridget says, When a parent brings their kid in, should we ask the parent to sign a consent for treatment? So I I did a whole episode on common confidentiality mistakes. It might be a patron only episode. And one of the things I talked about was how parents how how therapists will treat families and fail to get consent to treatment from everyone involved. Oh. And so she's like, and, and and she's a therapist, and she's and basically what she says in this email is she's like, well, a lot of parents just drop their kids off right. and, they, and they want you to fix the kid, and they refuse to come in. Mm-hmm. And when they do come in and you're trying to talk with them, if you were to say, "Can you please sign a thing saying, saying you consent to treatment?" a lot of parents will say like, "Well, no, I, I, I'm not the client. It's, I'm not, my, yeah. it's my kid. And so, you know, what am I supposed to do? And she gives this example of that she supervised a case where the parents brought it, brought in their 14 year old son in for treatment after being abused by the father uh, and the parents are still together and the son presented with depression and anger and it was clearly related to being abused by his father Ugh. and the, the, and the parents became very angry at the therapist for suggesting that the abuse had something to do with it. Oh, man. And soon after they stopped bringing the son in and that sort of thing. So what do you say to that, Berto?
1: Well, can't you just like tell them that it's for a raffle? You don't lie to them. <laughs> just sign the thing. Sign this. Con- I mean, raffle. <laughs> well, you joke, but actually, there's a fair amount
0: of therapists and agencies that kind of do that. Uh-oh. They'll 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 throw like a, just a slew of forms at people, oh. and just say, oh, you have to sign this, and you know they'll kind of summarize it in a way that makes it more likely that they'll sign it. You know, hmm.
1: and uh, I've certainly seen that. But anyway, well, no, I mean that's a really hard question. I, I'm sure that. Ideally, of course, you have to get the consent. Um, stepping away for, for for a second from what's legally required, uh, I think of if you're trying to help a child and there's a moment in which just a little bit of engagement from the parent can help, There, in my mind, there there is a bit of a gray zone as to like, when did I start treating the parent? Right. So that's a really uh, interesting
0: and... Um, confusing topic for therapists. Yeah. But what I say is, when in doubt, ask for for consent. Yeah. Like, if you think, huh, am I treating the parent right now or am I not? Right. Well, if you're asking that question...
1: Ask for consent.
0: Then, you know, you you might, you, you can't get in trouble for asking for consent when you don't engage in therapy, you know what I mean? But you yeah. can be in trouble for...
1: Not asking and then... Right.
0: Yeah. So if, if there's a question mark... Ask, you yeah. know, and plus, it's not that hard is the thing in my book. Um, but yeah, it's a massive problem. Uh, and uh, in a lot of ways, but a lot of parents will do this. They'll drop off their kid and they'll be like, you know, fix my kid. And I, I don't want to come into therapy. But the, the th- and I was just talking with the supervisee about this today there's this attitude that develops in these agencies where it's us versus them. It's similar in schools, where oh, it's just I like, see. oh, the parents, you know, the parents and the parents and da da da. And and I'll, I'll, the thing I always say is, people come to therapy because they have problems. <laughs> so parents are, you know, they don't just the the parents who are presenting problems in their parenting have other problems that make it so that they are a little skeptical of therapy or scared or don't right. feel safe. And it's your job as a therapist to do what you can to make them feel safe.
1: They might be mobsters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: referring to our Dirty John episode in which we weren't talking about in this episode. Well,
1: I was talking about the Sopranos.
0: Oh. And so the, uh, the way to um, – you have nice Nike blue shoes. Yeah. I got these in Columbia of all places. They are very tall. Those, those are like two inch heels. Yeah, it has
1: the nice cushiony. And it has a little window that you can see the cushion through. Do you like to be tall? Is that why you're wearing those? Things? No, I like to be cushiony. <laughs> like, so seriously, here's the, the backstory is I went to buy new walking shoes for my dad. Yeah. And he is so particular about what shoes he will and will not wear. So he only wanted black shoes with no frilly stuff on them and we searched and we searched we finally found these pair of nike that is this same model but black jet black no white lines or anything and he tried them on and he's like whoa these are really comfortable and i was like you know what i'll try a pair and i'm like do you have any color than black and like well we have this blue color uh which doesn't sell very well so it's discounted and i saw it i'm like doesn't sell I love this, so I, I I got them on discount on top of everything else. Are they really super comfy? Huh, maybe I'll
0: buy some. Yeah, and they'll be two inches taller too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's a problem. Parents will do that, and but the the reason for parents just dropping their kids off is not because parents are assholes, <laughs> and not because parents are in denial of their problems. It's because that our society teaches this. Now, us therapists, we don't teach this, but our society teaches individual therapy. They don't teach family right. therapy. Our society teaches that kids need help. They don't, our society does not advertise parents need right. help. Um, I've seen the movies. <laughs> yeah. Our society also teaches that when you have a problem in a, in a kid, the parents are 100% to blame. And you, our society also teaches that parents need to be shamed, you know, that sure. you, you need to yell at parents and say like, you're a terrible parent. You need to change your ways and, and you screwed up. Right. Uh, we've also taught that our society, that unless you have a perfect child, you are a terrible parent. And uh, every parent I talk to has the exact same syndrome of shame of like, no matter how quote unquote good their kid is, they know that their kid has some problems and, and they're ashamed of themselves as a parent. It's like, oh, you know. Uh, or at the very least, they're worried about being scrutinized by other people, or they have been scrutinized by other people. And it's just, it's so. What I tell people, what I tell therapists is, instead of creating an attitude of us versus them, instead of just being like, well, you know, these parents, they just drop this kid off, and they don't, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's up to you as a therapist to do what you can to make that parent feel not only safe but also that therapy will is a value to them right and what a lot of therapists do and w- what I might have kind of done in the beginning of my career is i just wanted the parent to come to me and say please help me and then i was like okay then we can cuz some parents do there's like please help me and that's what i was hoping for but not every parent does that and so what you have to do is you have to reach out you have to be like hey you know let me let's can i just talk to you for about 10 minutes before i talk with johnny right bring him into your office and you you have to. You have to very quickly lay out that this is a safe place to talk. That I, I'm very understanding of. You know that parenting is very complex, and I'm. I swear to God, I'll never blame you for problems. I, you know, pe- people try their best, and also if you do engage in therapy with me and we do talk, I'm fairly sure that we're going to be able to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna listen very closely to you. Mm-hmm. and I'm going to value what you're going to say, and then I'm going to try to think about maybe throw out some suggestions to maybe help you out with your parenting. I'm guessing that uh, I'm not going to know exactly what to say in those conversations, but I have worked with other parents and had some success in terms of like right. brainstorming, trial and error. So, And not all of them end up in jail. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, now, that's a very crude, you know, brief way of trying to Connect with a parent and that kind of stuff, but that's that, what—that's not usually what happens. What usually happens is, um, look, look, father and mother, I, we need to talk. <laughs> you know, there's some issues that you really need to be paying attention to here, right? And. Or at least that's the vibe that they get. You know, they right. got, okay, I finally got a chance to blast these parents about their terrible parenting. They need to recognize that their <laughs> abuse of this kid is causing the problems. You know? <laughs> and it's like, it's like, um, yes, but if someone can avoid being chastised by a professional, they're probably going to try to avoid that. Right.
1: It's just It just rarely works to start off on that foot anyways. Yeah.
0: Now, I don't know what patron Bridget does. Maybe she does all those things and her families are still rejecting her and that doesn't feel good. Um, but that doesn't preclude our responsibility to ask for consent to yeah. treat. And um, and if you have to, you might have to ease people into it, is the point. Anyway, Um. Okay, uh, one last email here. Oh, this is great. (laughs) This is so good. Can't wait. Um, So I'm not going to say his name because uh, let's not do that. But this is basically uh, a guy who lives nearby nearby Seattle. He was listening to the episode recently in which I was basically reprimanding therapists who refuse to treat LGBTQ clients Mm -hmm. because of their religion. And uh, I, the title of the podcast is called "Bigot Therapists." Ooh, <laughs> and I didn't I didn't mince words in that podcast. Now, what I what I did talk about in that podcast was that I was not the podcast was not an indictment on Christianity, <clears throat> because according to research, the the majority of Christians actually support gay marriage, and oh, so that's changed over the last twenty years. Sure. So, yeah. but currently you could almost say that the anti-gay thing in Christianity is a minority. Uh At the very least, it will be the minority if trends continue, which they likely will. And so so I wasn't saying uh, that Christian therapists are bigoted. What I was saying is that there are bigoted therapists, and some of them happen to be Christian. Some of them also happen to be Jewish, and some of them have to be Muslim, and some of them happen to be Jehovah Witness, and some of them happen to be atheists. There are bigoted right. therapists to cry. The, the, but in Christianity and in Islam, there are certain notions that are thrown around that, that make it more likely that a therapist in that area is going to exhibit bigotry against and discrimination and weird uh, ideas about LGBTQ people. So so that's what I was talking about in that episode. So he writes, Dear Dr. Kirk since I live a mere 70 miles or so from Seattle, I think it's safe to say that I understand your region of the country to some extent.
1: <laughs>
0: Before moving here, I lived in Boston and Chicago. Chicago in particular had a huge gay pride parade. One lesbian attending the, the parade loved, sho- in all caps, loved shoving people's faces in her perversion. Wow. She wore she wore a t-shirt decorated with the words, Taste the Rainbow. It was obvious that it had nothing to do with Skittles candies because it also had a huge arrow pointing towards her crotch. Talk about tasteless.
1: What do you think about that so far, Berto? <laughs> they were triggered by these things um it was just occurring to me that when i was a kid um I i remember being in my school bus talking to this little friend of mine who was my she was my school bus mate for years so every morning and every afternoon we would always talk and i think we must have been early teenagers like maybe 12 or so and she was saying something about uh like kissing a penis or something, you know? And and I was like so grossed out. I'm like, oh, who would ever do that, you know? And I, I just remember that notion in my head of like, oh, who would ever want to kiss a penis? It was so disgusting. But I get the sense like some people never grow out of these feelings of, of, of <laughs> disgust, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's like t- taste the rainbow, you know,
0: and pointing towards your crotch. And it's like... you realize people have oral sex. (laughs) Yeah, left and right all the time. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: heterosexuals, homosexuals. But but they find it really threatening to see that sign for some reason.
0: Yeah, what if, and it's, and, you know, let's be honest, it's culturally considered to be crude or rated R or something.
1: And certainly in front of children, you don't want, like, to be uh, overtly talking about sexuality and stuff like that. But, yeah, one of the things that I always hear from Bigoted
0: people against LGBTQ people, or I often hear, is they'll bring up gay pride parade stuff, and I'm always like, you realize it's a pride parade? It's just a parade, you know what I mean? What they'll always say is like, why do they have to flaunt it so much? And why they? It's like, well, you know, if you had like a military parade, you wouldn't, and it was its purpose was to to aggrandize the military. You wouldn't be like, why do they have to? You know. Why do they have to show, show us, us those yeah. faces, you know? Show us those missiles? Yeah, or, you know, why do they have to have all those
1: soldiers in those uniforms? Actually, you just bring up a really interesting point. Think, uh, offensiveness wise. Imagine, you know, we have these parades all the time where they have their guns. Sometimes even they do 21 gun salutes where they're shooting weapons, right? right. And this is all like, oh great, it's so awesome. These guns that kill kids. So great to see these yeah. in my face. Yeah. Oh! She's got an arrow pointing downstairs. Yeah. That's so offensive. Yeah,
0: what if you're a Native American and your ancestors were killed by the American military? What if you're like me as a Japanese American and the American military imprisoned your family members for for years during World War II? Uh, You know, I, I understand when I watch military and parades that, you know, that's not what they're saying. You know what I mean? And so... They're anyway, not
1: celebrating those things. They're just saying, "Hey, we, we're part of this country and we defend it," and blah blah. Yeah, defend yeah, the quote unquote defend it. Yeah, but the, the point is, is anyway. That but if we don't have a problem with military parades, <laughs> yeah.
0: But it's the the other thing is 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 anyway. It just always kind of boggles me. It's like there's this. I don't know if it's the internet or whatever, but there's this kind of like go to thing about. If you if you wanna if you wanna bring up a case against LGBTQ people, you gotta you gotta insert the gay parade pride uh, yeah. in there somewhere because you gotta it's it, it, to them it's a slam dunk example because because this guy who's writing into me is like trying to say, look, being gay there's something wrong with it, right? Right, and it's like, look, if you look at gay pride parade, it's like, well, by that logic, any heterosexual that does anything bad that you, that you don't like is yeah. An indictment on, on um, on being heterosexual, you know. It's like,
1: yeah, um, right, right. It, like, let's say, even if we said, yeah, gay pride parades go a little far; they're too, too graphic or whatever. Somehow, that is now an indictment on the entire community, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and
0: to that, I'll say, I, I let people off the hook a little bit because if you're unfamiliar with gay people and you happen to be exposed to the gay pride parade it's it's, a, it's not hard to say, oh, is this how all gay people sure. are? That's is fair. this how they are all the time? Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so he goes on. Your show Bigot Therapists starts out by criticizing therapists who refuse to work with LGBTQ clients. It seems clear to me that your perspective is skewed by the fact that Dan Savage is from Seattle. Uh, what? Yeah, so...
1: <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, so he's,
0: like, he's basically saying that because Dan Savage is from Seattle, and Dan Savage is a is a pro gay person, that yeah I that mean, I have adopted Dan Savage's point of view. Because, we talk
1: about Dan Savage frequently on this podcast. Yeah, not only that, I was certainly not against Dan Savage when he was. Uh, Pissing progressives like myself off for saying that we were part of the problem in the last election, but anyways, that's a different topic. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, yeah, I've been
0: listening, or I've been, I've been, re- I've been reading Dan Savage's columns since the since early nineties. Yeah, uh, but I'm not that into Dan Savage uh, because there's some of his some, I, I'm just not. But that super way, that. Why, this, why would that be? Why you have this? Yeah, yeah exactly. But again, if, if you're if you're uh, in a certain cultural pocket in the right echo chamber, they will grab certain things, you yeah, know, sure. the gay pride parade. And yeah. maybe Dan Savage is one of those things that they grab because, you know, they have quotes from him saying things that they like to quote. Who knows?
1: Look, I, I've experienced this uh, a few times in my life regarding Hispanic culture, where it, there's all sorts of uh things that you see in movies or shows where you might have uh the Hispanic party and they they might be playing a, a mariachi band or something, right? And it's from Mexico, right? And and it's loud. It's like oh blah 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 blah. Okay. So I've actually had literally had people tell me like um, you guys are so loud, right? Or yeah. or tell me, like, oh, uh, you guys and your mariachis. And, you know, in Colombia there's no mariachis at all, right? Only, only Mexican mariachi bands are mariachis in Colombia. Right. But these are things that because people see one filter, like yeah. the, a, a movie thing or something, then they assume that entire population is a, a, a homogeneous way. Right. So... Because I'm pro
0: LGBT or because I'm an ally of LGBTQ people, I must be like indoctrinated by Dan Savage. Yeah. It's such a it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's so weird. Um okay, but you're gonna love this bit. Okay. (laughs) It gets better. And he says, and oh yeah. The fact that your Facebook page shows a photo of you and another man.
1: (gasps) Oh yes!
0: I'm guess I'm guessing that he isn't your brother or just a colleague.
1: Oh, Salacious D! <laughs> we should start a band calling it Salacious D. <laughs> the fact oh that your gosh. Facebook
0: page shows a photo of you and another man—that's hot. And I'm guessing that he's not your brother and he's not just a colleague. Oh, we're brothers, all right. <laughs> I mean i love it, it couldn't get any better than that that is so awesome one like that's awesome what does that have to do with it and well, two, no that's clearly why you're biased and two like wow
1: right like because there's a picture of two men <laughs> well what's it is actually in all seriousness uh this is one of the big problems in the world right that i, I and i'm i don't think that's too hyperbolic uh Think about all the reasons why we get into aggressive conflict, right? There's this microcosm that it's so threatening to see two men like close to each other or appearing to be friendly or touching. (gasps) They're touching. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Are you guys brothers? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, He goes on.
0: He talks about some show or documentary called Indoctrination University or something, and it says that uh, it unveils the intellectual corruption of American universities by faculty activists who have turned America's classrooms into indoctrination centers for their political causes. It describes how academic radicals with little regard for professional standards or pluralistic foundations of American society have created an ideological curriculum that it is at odds with the traditional purposes of a democratic education. Well, to this uh, writer-inner, I would say to some extent I agree with you. There are abuses of faculty that I have witnessed firsthand in which they – will, in a sense, punish uh, in a very real way in terms of like, because you don't agree with my political views, I am now going to give you a a bad grade in cases where I don't think that that is um, best (laughs) and right and just. And so to this, I say, yeah, Uh, humans are flawed, and they're going to—they're going to do stuff that isn't great all the time. But, but hold on. Sorry. How did we get from, I'm refusing to treat someone. Well, so let me explain, because <laughs> uh, I didn't explain the whole thing, was that these were trainees and programs, and the faculty uh, were basically forcing the, these trainees to to change their point of view. I see. So okay, like, okay. You have to, you, ha- you know, it's unethical for you to discriminate against, against gay see. people, so, we're gonna put you through this re- remediation program mm-hmm. to try to get you to change your mind on that i see and these and these trainees uh, refused to do that. They got kicked out of the program and then they sued and there was there's various different results but
1: i I have a question um it it is clearly wrong to steal it is clearly wrong to speak ill of your father and mother. It is definitely wrong to murder uh it is really wrong to have um, out, out of marriage, anything, right? Adultery is a no-no. Do they not treat any of those people either? <laughs> right. Well, so, yeah, yeah. And the, yeah,
0: exactly. The, they would say, it's more complicated than that. You have to listen to the whole episode. Sure. But, but at any rate. Um, so, yeah, their abuses faculty, you know, if, if for some reason, because right now, some like 80% of university faculty are Democrats are liberals. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, there, but if it was the opposite, then the liberals would be complaining about how the universities had all these right wing professors imposing their points. You know, it's just, it's, it's a problem and it needs to be talked about um, on both, on any side, on sure. any point of view, like professors have power and with power comes basically abuse of power at times. Yeah. And, and I've probably been guilty of that myself at times, um, not in this way, but uh, probably in other ways. It's just it's just part of the thing, you know, and yeah, we should reflect on that. Um, but there's a difference between that problem that happens sometimes and the cases in which I brought up, the, the main one, the good one, the Jennifer Keaton one, is where... And someone actually pointed out on YouTube, I think, that Jennifer Keaton was, I think, the youngest sibling in um, the TV show with uh, Michael J. Fox. Wait, was she really? Uh, uh, there was the
1: Keaton family. Oh, not that... okay. Two different people, but the name is the same. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 Well, it's a yeah. character name in the Alex TV show. Alex Keaton was uh, Michael J. Fox's character. Yeah. So Jennifer
0: Keaton must have been his sister. The, well, there were two sisters... What was Justine Bateman? Oh. I forget. Was I forget her name? Okay. Anyway, the point is, is uh, Jennifer Keaton, real person, she refused to work with an LGBT with a gay man. Uh, she or someone she thought to be gay, and she also had talked about how she believed that being gay was immoral. She also talked about she had some interest in conversion therapy, and um, she said the, the reason why she didn't want to treat this person was because she couldn't condone, you know, if the person said to her, look, I'd like you to help me with my relationships. I'd, I'd like you to help me uh, enhance my relationship with this, with this other man. You know? Right. And she said that she couldn't do that in, because it was against her religion. And she said that she might even try to convince him otherwise or something like that. And so what the program did is they said that, Look, you're entitled to your belief system. If you know if that's what you believe, that's fine. But if you want to be a counselor, according to our ethical codes and our right. accreditation standards, that is not the standard of care. You don't that's that's not what counselors do yeah. in this profession. You don't you don't impose your religious beliefs on another person. That's right. just, you know, if we, if we allowed that, uh, imagine all the other weird uh, religious beliefs that would be infused into the, the into the counseling office. You're a professional. You
1: yeah. Know? Well, I mean, like seriously. So, uh, okay. To be weirdly fair to their position, I, I think in their minds they're 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 sort of looking at it like, look, if. Uh, a murderer comes to me and says, I want your help on how to murder people. Right. Certainly I'm not gonna do that. Right. They actually sort of equate it. They're like, yeah. well, I'm not gonna But th- but the flip side of that is so what if someone comes in and says like they're talking they're just talking. They're like, yeah, you know what I love shrimp. I lo- love eating shellfish. Are you gonna be like, oh, I can't treat you anymore. Right. Because, okay, what if it's related to food addiction, right? And one of the things I love eating is seafood of all sorts, including shellfish. Like, well, that's against my religion. I can't help you with that. Right. Right? Like, that's that, that's that's the kind of thing it is. Right. And so, plus, it's freaking ridiculous we still have people in our
0: society who consider LGBTQ lifestyle, as they put it, to be immoral. Especially, as I said, in the, because... The, the, our society has changed on this, and Christians have changed too. So it, it's such an obvious conclusion when you look at if what it, it's it, you'd be hard pressed not to know of at least the TV present like Ellen DeGeneres. You know, it's hard to look at Ellen DeGeneres and go like she's a degenerate. She's so. an evil, yeah. <laughs> she's a degenerate. <laughs> uh, it, it's like, oh, I get it. Gay people are just like me, right They just happen to be attracted to people of the same sex. No fucking big deal. right. So the fact that we still have people like that is is ridiculous and, I, and they need yeah. to stop it.
1: A lot of it I think is the, the, it's, it's the sex angle, right Because theoretically, in some of these belief systems, sex, you really only are supposed to have sex with your married partner, right? You and know. even then, nothing too crazy. Yeah. yeah. So as soon as you're like, well, I'm gay, then immediately, like, well, so you're definitely being an adulterer because you're having all sorts of crazy, illegally sexy things yeah. outside of a marriage. Right. That's not good. Right. And that, that is really tied into it. Yeah. I get it. And grow up, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, just
0: think a lot. It's a logical conclusion that gay marriage is totally fine. It's a logical conclusion that people should be allowed to do what they want to with their sex life and their marriage life. You right. know, like if you don't like it, right. fine. If you think it's gross, fine. If you think it's a sin, fine. But it's illogical. It doesn't make it's not logical. Right. Uh, you know, there no one is being harmed. Right. Uh and it's consenting adults. <laughs> yeah. It's just so dumb, you know. And so anyway. Um So he goes on, should therapists work with gay people? Well, that depends on whether or not – I will say that his email – the reason why – part of the reason why I'm reading it is because he's actually not like a raving lunatic like a lot of the people on the internet. He's actually
1: like – Making his case, yeah, you like know? you and I being in a photo together—that's salacious, D. <laughs> should,
0: should therapists work with gay people? Well, that depends on whether or not they they have spinelessly capitulated to modern trends. He says, "I have serious issues with." <laughs> I have. Ser- he says he's actually. So I'll just summarize what he's saying. He's he says he has issues with conversion therapy being forced on people, but what about people who generally want to to change? And I hey, uh. And I actually, to some extent, understand the debate here. I mean, if if you have someone who say they're Christian or Muslim or whatever religion that says that they can't be gay, and they, uh, you know, are going, "Oh my gosh, I'm gay. I want to not be gay anymore." And they go to a therapist and they say, "I would like you to help me not be gay." It is it's it's an interesting thought experiment for me, sure, because I believe in client autonomy. If someone says, I, you know, I've had clients who have come to me for things that I did not agree with, but I treated them for that because I, because they were really asking for it. And I, I started out for the first number of sessions going, like, you realize you don't have to do that, right? Sure. Like, for instance, I, I had a client who came to me to stop his quote-unquote porn addiction even though he only looked at porn like once every six months or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, and he considered it like this terrible thing, and he wanted to stop. Yeah. And so I spent a number of sessions just trying to like normalize sexual activity right. and, and normalize, I guess, pornography viewing, or talk about options of pornography sure, viewing, sure. ethical pornography viewing or something, because uh, there are such things, in my opinion. And uh, and at the end of that, he's like, nope. You know, I get what you're saying, and I, sure. you know, and it's illuminating to think about outside the cultural box here for a second. But no, I I don't I don't want to look at porn anymore, and I and it's harming my marriage, and yeah, and I need your help. And so politically, I was not on board with that. Yeah. Politically, I'm like, look, you know, you look at porn every once in a while, you masturbate.
1: There's
0: something wrong with that, you know, like just talk it over with your wife and maybe you guys can work something out, you know, tell
1: her that you love her and you're never going to leave her and, and, you know, like. But the thing he was asking you wasn't, it wasn't in some obvious ways going to harm him or others near him, you know, like it's one thing, like if a client comes and says, I mean, obviously, like if a client comes to you and says, I want you to help me gain 600 pounds, like you might have actual ethical problems with that because that could literally lead to their death. Right. Right. Well, yeah, but that's not directly
0: analogous to a Christian who thinks she's going to hell because if she engages in in homosexual activity and yeah. and she wants your... up. Now, I've never been faced with that situation. No one has ever come to me with that
1: goal, so sure. I can't. I don't know what I would do. I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I was just. I was just trying to say that. If we are to believe, if we are to stand on a pedestal and say, look, your choices sexually are your choices, we need to be able to respect the choice is in either direction. Right. And then like to your point, help inform, there's nothing wrong with being gay. There's you know, it's all it's healthy if that's how you feel. But if they still want to be one way or the other and it's not like I need to I need your help me convince me to inject heroin daily or convince me to kill some people. Like these yeah. are obviously wrong things. Yeah, it's it's a different kind of realm. Yeah. Now, again, uh
0: Eventually, we're going to get to a place in our society where no one will ask for this because we won't have a society that shames it, is is the, is the my prediction. No, well, no one's going to – in 50 years, no one in America is going to go to therapy and say, please convert me from being gay because our society will fully embrace both uh, sexual orientations.
1: That could be. I also sort of look at it like if someone comes to you or, or just in general and they're like – you know, I think I want to be a different gender. Like, I, I'm a male. I want to be a female. I need your help making that transition. Is that right? Wrong? Is it, that's what they're saying they want to do? Right? Uh, These are. I mean, it's it's not obvious, right? But it, until and if you have a perfect test that could determine if that's ultimately healthy or unhealthy, like that's what they want to do. They they right. they're telling you they want to switch sexes. Right. So, it,
0: in my view, if if you go over all the cultural reasons as to why this or that is happening. Let me give you actually another example that I, I talked about in a recent episode in which I had a client who was in a heterosexual relationship and had been and had kids and at that point realized that they had homosexual, they, that they realized, I think I'm actually gay. Yeah, And they came to me and they wanted me to help them to not be gay. Right. They wanted me to, not, not to not be gay, but to refrain from engaging in extramarital affairs see, yes. that happen to be with same sex sure. people. And so in that situation, again, I was like, Oh, well, but we should first have a conversation about, is that the best goal for you? Because yeah. maybe another goal is divorce and, and be more congruent with your sexuality. And so we talked about that for a long time, but in the end, he said, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live. I don't, I don't want to divorce. Right. I, I love my wife. I love my kids. Right. And I want, and
1: so I need you to help me to not do extra And y, that's and Z. important. I mean, another thing is like we're talking about it and I know we're like massively simplifying it as if it's the, the peanuts model of psychiatry and psychology where Lucy's there in her stand and someone comes by and says, here's a nickel. I need you to do this very specific thing for me. But at least the way I've experienced therapy in my life. The the real value I've gotten wasn't, hey, I have this one specific problem I need you to solve it for me. Yeah. it was like I, I got a whole bunch of stuff I need help just thinking through it, and right? Talking, and right? It's
0: an exploration, and it, the the therapist often is just the just sort of a a sounding board yeah. or someone who is with someone as you as you journey through your own mind.
1: It's not like you can wave a magic wand and turn people into frogs when they
0: want, right? So anyway. This this guy brings up a point of like, what about people who who actually don't want to be gay and they yeah. want conversion therapy? It, yeah. To each individual, I will say to each individual client, I have sympathies for that. Yeah. But as a society, the the larger the because and that gets into a weird debatable thing about client autonomy and like the ethics of doing something to someone that isn't good for them o- overall.
1: Yeah.
0: But. The the overarching thing that needs to happen is our society needs to continue to progress and the percentage of Christians who uh, are no longer bigoted against LGBTQ people needs to continue to increase. What am I saying here? Um, The the, the bigotry has to go away. Yeah, And
1: then this won't even be an issue is the thing. Uh, uh, There's also an elephant in the room to address, which is that it's one thing to have a reasonable debate about, look... Should we as therapists, I'm not a therapist, but should you guys as therapists look at stats and data and research to help guide you into making more balanced and ethical choices with your patients, right? That seems reasonable, right? As opposed to, should we use private feelings and beliefs that by definition have no proof Right to and and dictate. are not shared by the majority right. of other people in the profession to, to dictate what we do or don't do that, that's a very different thing right. what if I'm a flat earther yeah. and a patient comes and says they're afraid of flying yeah. and my treatment is about convincing them that it, the world's flat right <laughs>
0: right yeah exactly and you know yeah, anyway so so that's what he was saying there. And then he also says that St. Paul addressed the issue of homosexuality. In Romans 1, Paul cites homosexuality as degrading and a judgment of God. If you're not a Christian, I still suggest—oh, this is him saying to me. If you're not a Christian, I still suggest that you read the book of Romans
1: in order to avoid your own bigotry, he says. No, that, that is a good point. Actually, and, and in all fairness, I think we should also read in Harry Potter 2— that do you remember the chapter when they're in with the basilisk? There's a little bit of a bromance going on between I think we should read that as well. That one is also an important chapter to read. He said, have you said all that? Let me add this.
0: God loves gay people just as God loves all sinners. So, which
1: god are we talking about? Uh so that's what he says there.
0: Yeah, you know, he, again, this is this is not an indictment on homeless on um, this is not an indictment on Christianity uh, but, but, if, if this is your point of view if, if you think that being gay is a sin then great it's a ridiculous point of view I, I'm just going to label it like that uh, it, there's a lot of wonderful things about Christianity for instance giving to the poor love uh, humility forgiveness there's a lot of wonderful things about Christianity community
1: it's really family- hard to argue against those Family, like you have to work hard to make those bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, being a
0: good person, not lying, uh, supporting your family, respecting your elders, uh, uh, living a healthy life, yeah. not, not being angry. Uh, there, there's a lot of wonderful things about Christianity that is really the majority of of my experience of what of what sermons are about and a and yeah. w- and what the core Christian value. is in terms of what I've experienced and what I define as. There just happens to be people in our society and around the world who are extremely uncomfortable with LGBTQ people. Yeah. And they look for justification for that discomfort. And they turn to their religion because their religion happens to have some passages in the Bible that actually – provide justification for their discomfort. And, I, then, yeah. and then they dig their heels in and they they echo chamber and they turn it into a political thing and then they email me about it when I talk about these issues. And the thing is is that, you know, I get it, but it's got to change. You yeah. know, go to your core Christian values. Uh, Jesus literally said, you cannot judge another human being. That yeah. is not your job. And... Uh, and you don't know, pal, is basically what Jesus was saying. Is like, uh, stop, stop e- evaluating other people's sin and unsin. It's don't like, throw
1: those rocks. It, you know. By the way, uh, something that doesn't work is quoting a book that you believe in, but the person that you're quoting it to or the group may not believe it in. So, like when you when you quote certain verses from this, it, it, the equivalent would be imagine for this person or someone if if someone quotes them a verse from the Quran, right, right, what effect does that have on them, right? But that's their world, and I get it, you know, that's
0: the Bible to this fellow is an important document and perhaps the Word of God, I don't know. And, you know, I I get it. And, And so I went back and forth with him for a little bit and basically just tried to engage him in a, succinct conversation about things and he wasn't he wasn't a jerk and that's part of the reason why i'm reading the email is because i get daily horrific uh, some of them are trolls but some of them are not trolls they're just really politically charged angry people who write to me things and then when i respond to them they either don't reply back, or they just come back with even more vitriol, or and just more insults or something. This one was, I think, I think he was trying to explain something to me, <laughs> and there's some there's some insult talk in there, but it's not as believe me as bad as other stuff I get. And so, if you're listening out there, person who wrote this, uh, I. Hope that our response is not hurtful to you. I'm guessing that some of the things I said at the very least were hurtful. Uh, that's not the tone that I want to propagate i I totally respect people having their point of view. I totally respect their religious point of view. but when your point of view and your behavior makes other innocent human beings feel like shit or makes other human beings, innocent human beings, it limits their freedoms or keeps them oppressed or unfairly takes away power that they deserve, then I'm going to say stuff about that. I'm going to say that belief that motivates that behavior has got to change. I'm going to say that. And and in 50 years, 100 years, I am positive that – People are going to look back on this and be like, wasn't it interesting that in 2017 there was this weird group of people that had this very strange point of view about LGBTQ people? There were people, and to some extent still are, but, but mainstream individuals in the mid-1800s who used the Bible to justify their racist beliefs about black people being slaves. That's the thing about these kinds of people who write in that I just wish they would just take a history class and really focus on right. that kind of stuff because it doesn't take a genius to draw connections between these two things. There were people that used the Bible to justify whites and blacks not getting married, that justified blacks staying as slaves, that justified the 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 privilege and the 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 superiority of white people that justified laws that justified, you know, there were people that did that. And when we look back on that, we're like, well, that's ridiculous. That's not Christian. That's not, they weren't real Christians, real Christians, you know, recognize that black people are equal. What's wrong with those Christians back then? Well, the, the, the wrongness is that they were uncomfortable with something and they turned they started looking around for something to hold on to to justify their discomfort and religion you know because the bible is is fairly ambiguous if you 've ever read the Bible mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways to interpret what's in there it's there's a lot of parable and analogy and you know and it's it's pretty rare that the Bible just comes out and says this or that, you know, and when it does, sometimes it gets a little weird, you know like your hairstyle has to be a certain way or right. something. And so so that happened in the mid1800s, and when we look back at that, we think, well, those weren't real Christians, and they were confused, and they're completely outmoded, that you know, very few Christians today, if you polled them, would say, yes, it's it should be illegal for blacks and whites to get married, or, right. or you know, there's still a percentage, but it's very much the minority. Well, that's where we're headed with LGBTQ issues with Christians, that every year the percentage gets uh, more and more in favor of justice. Yeah. And I think right now, even among evangelical Christians, it's something like 50% support gay marriage. Among evangelical Christians, Methodists, Catholics, it's even higher. It's something like 80% or something. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses is, like, very low. They're, they're still, like, <laughs> uh, like 30%. But still, you know, but every year it just gets higher and higher. And so eventually, attitudes like this, right or inner, I just have to tell you, they're not going to look very good in the annals of history in 100 years. Yeah. Any
1: final word, bro? I grew up in Colombia for my first 15 years, mostly, in a uh, Catholic country. I went to a Catholic school. Um, man being gay or, or saying anything that would have made it look like you were in any way gay would have been one of the worst things you could have done Oh, there, there were a couple of kids in the class that everyone believed they were probably gay and I mean one of them didn't get picked on that much because he was one, uh, the second tallest kid in the class but the other one did and in general like just gays were something that we would laugh at because it was the funny guy in the movie that was outrageous and no one would ever be like that in real life and that was the thing it was not okay at all right i never knew anyone of course there were but at the time that was gay or would have been gay that would have been inconceivable marriage that that question wouldn't have even come up at all Because you wouldn't have got past the gate of being gay in the first place. And that was in the 80s. -hmm. Um, I was very anti-gay in high school. I I mean, not that I did anything actively about it. It's just if you would have asked me, I'm like, Ugh, gross, disgusting, I can't do that, whatever. Um, It took me actually debating in youth group, having debates, because they, they would set up these debates about different things. And I would always like to play devil's advocate just to play devil's advocate. You know me. And me, I would start making arguments that I didn't initially believe in, but to try to screw the other side up. And one of the arguments I made was that they were saying, like, look, it's not natural. And I would have said that. It's not natural. But then I was like, well, okay. And then I was playing devil's advocate. Well, but uh, dogs do it. And I remember the entire youth group, like, cracked up laughing like I was saying something totally ridiculous. But in my mind, I was like, that's one of the most logical things I've said. (laughs) And then I realized wait a minute and that started like getting me to question my own assumptions I'm like wait what, what so, is this not natural thing i've never heard you tell this story before. <laughs> yeah um was the exercise to actually have a debate or? yeah we were in youth group we were having debates about different topics and one so of them was homosexuality they were, they were open to <laughs> yeah legitimizing gay relationships uh no no, no, this wasn't about relationship. Oh, uh, I, I see what you mean. Just gay relationships, not marriage. Uh, it, it wasn't that far into it. It was it's the so, topic was homosexuality,
0: and their stance and was there was a debate. And this was and their the, the leaders were like, "Well, you let's know, debate it, it. It's it's debatable." It, was that with their stance, or was yeah. their stance of let's let's further justify our anti-gay no, attitude. This
1: was a very progressive uh, Interesting. church. I wonder if yeah. the
0: leaders actually were trying
1: to influence you guys... It might have been. ...to be less anti-gay. It might have been, because why would you even a- allow, quote-unquote, that debate? Right. So we had that debate, and I remember in that debate, I started questioning my own things. Do you know the leaders? Do you know... Do you, Are you in contact with them? No, I'm or? not, but I, I, I remember what they look like, and... I would know how to find out who they were. I would ask them if you... Yeah. That's a good question, actually. Because if they were pro-gay, you could be like, you know what? You did. You moved to life. I just... Yeah. Just want to tell you. Um, Well, that's... that's, Actually, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow your advice on that. Because the truth is... And then, you know, it took me several years, early years in college, to finally find, like, where my thought was actually on this whole thing. Partially, was from not knowing people directly that at least I knew were gay, and partially was the religious up, upbringing. And then there was also the, like I was saying, just when you're young, you tend to find things that you're not familiar with, stranger and weirder and things. Um, and then I remember finally at some point it all just like clicked and I was like, oh, why, why does it matter to me? Right. Like, this is so dumb. <laughs> right. And it didn't take much. Let's just put it that right. way. And you
0: had a lot of reasons to continue yeah. the, the bigotry. And th- that's, that's my contention. It's yeah. like, it's not a big ask.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: like, and it, and it won't even affect your fucking life. Do you know like, what I mean? Yeah. To, to this guy who's writing in, it's like, for you to change your mind about gay people, it won't change anything about your life. <laughs> right. Like, you probably don't know a soul who's LGBTQ, in, in apparently, in your, in your circle. <laughs> well, you you know, probably but, do and don't know it, but either way, it's not affecting you. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know, it, it doesn't ask you to do anything. Yeah. You know, it just, it's just, just change your attitude. No yeah. big deal. And that's what happened to you. You're just like, huh, I guess that attitude's weird. Why was I like that? Yeah, you know? exactly. Because, again, it's logical. Yeah. And to work against logic... To work against such an easy transition, to work against empathy, to work against goodness, to work against right, to work against justice—you have to actually put effort into it, in my yeah. in my opinion. And for the last bastion of bigotry in our society that is still anti-LGBTQ people—well, the Q thing, yeah, or the T and the Q thing—we're still working on. But at least the lg the LGB thing, yeah, well, maybe the B thing is still kind of. At least the L L and the G is to to still be bigoted against that in our society, given Ellen, given Will and Grace, given all the other things, I just have to say, like, what is wrong with you?
1: Yeah. In fact, I just saw an article today saying there might be a Star Wars uh, gay storyline coming up. And the the title of the article was, uh, or maybe the person who posted it was saying, does JJ, would JJ Abrams dare go this or something like that? And I was thinking, why is this still a question? Yeah.
0: The same thing happened in the last Star Trek movie. Did you know that, that they, made, um, they made Sulu into a gay man? Oh, right. So the actor who played Sulu in the original is gay, is is life, gay yeah. but they had John Cho, the guy who's playing it now. Yeah. They had him, uh, you know, they revealed in a kind of a one-off sort of shot. Oh, I don't remember. I don't, actually, I didn't see the, lar- the last Star Trek. Um, and he, and yeah, there there was there was a minor kerfuffle, but it, it wasn't as big as you would think, um, <laughs> and, which was kind of nice, because it's like, okay, because 10 years ago, it would have been a huge deal. Yeah. And today, it's like, just kind of a deal.
1: Well, what's her name? Um, she, uh, the Harry Potter writer, she revealed the Dumbledore was gay oh really yeah and that did cause quite a stir yeah uh
0: so she revealed it like outside of the books or something yeah Uh,
1: that's interesting like if it's not in the books then well you could claim there were little hints in there but but the truth is that she just basically came out and established that dumbledore is gay interesting now it is telling of the time when she wrote in on all these things that if he was gay, he was probably in the closet. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But anyways, that that's what she came out and revealed. That's such I mean I have to say
0: I like it. I like that she's basically, you know Yeah. The the few people the, the, the always that happens in these situations is like there's a fair amount of Harry Potter fans that are anti-gay. DK Rowling. Yeah. And so when Rowling comes up and says this you know there's a percentage that are that they're going to have to wrestle with that right and they they're, they're going to have to say well i hate gay people but i love dumbledore so you know and it could be that moment for yeah. for the same for you and so i like it right. but on the other hand i'm like that's kind of a weird thing to reveal that doesn't have any th- indication in the storyline right Like, there's Um, no, there's no hints that Dumbledore
1: had a boyfriend or a husband or. Well, so not that directly, but he certainly has no female. There's no indication he ever had a female thing. Well, there was no romantic
0: talk at all from him. Well,
1: he, he, there is a lot of talk about the deep relationship he had with Grindelwald. And like, again, this is the kind of thing you would do when it, the guy was in the closet, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying that she was bold enough to write in the gay. St- but is, you know, that was sort of like hard to do. So I don't know if she did it as a way to sort of make a stance, like later on, or right, or if she was like, no, that's how I wrote him. But like, she, like she, like she, yeah.
0: she was like, well, this this is a book for kids, but. You know, is Dumbledore gay? You know, I, I could see her yeah. like trying to—is he gay? Right. Is he straight? You know what? I'm going to make him gay. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to, and you know, because right. I'm sure as she was writing the book, she's like, should I write in like a backstory for Dumbledore having a wife? Right. Or, you know, I'm, right. I'm guessing that ran through her mind, and I, I could, I could see that. I could, see, if that's true. Then I respect her revealing later on. But and to if, be but, fair, there but, might be an article that explains all of this that I haven't read. But if <laughs> she know? just tacked it on at the end, just like you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna
1: make Dumbledore gay.
0: <laughs> Whereas before, I didn't really make him anything because he because sure. he didn't really have a romantic storyline, you know.
1: But in um, all honesty, like sadly, right? But if if she had injected that into those books, I I have a feeling that that would have hurt the her her franchise yeah because totally. the parents too many parents would have been outraged well, the fact that uh, a lot of
0: christian families allowed harry potter to be read anyway right that's surprising you know because <laughs> yeah. you know there's a certain section of christianity that abhors anything related or suggestive of magic because yeah. it's it's like i remember when we were i don't know if you remember but there were, there's a there was a section of Christians who hated Star Wars because it talked about oh really? cause it talked about the Force
1: oh right which, uh,
0: yeah 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 and no talk about God <laughs> and then I remember <laughs> other Christians saying well it is God it's just in another galaxy far far away that's what they call God <laughs> yeah. they, you know they call it they call it the
1: Force you know you have I love to be- how we're getting upset about it. A- Fictional, like oh my gosh, <laughs> like this thing that took place in a galaxy far, that's not jiving with our book.
0: <laughs> but there's a there's a history of really trying to avoid infiltration or yeah. focusing on non-Christian things. Like like there's still again a percentage; it's rather small of Christians who refuse to do yoga because because they, they <laughs> believe that it's associated with really? with religion. Yeah, because oh, it, it kind of is. Oh, I see.
1: And then there's the whole D&D backlash that happened. Right. And Oh, and my understanding is um, J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien and the guy who wrote C. S. <S. the Chronicle Lewis. and C.S. Lewis would get into these debates because C.S. Lewis would try to convince him. He's like, you know, why do you write these things? Because in some way, writing this whole epic fantasy thing was a totally different history yeah. to the Christian. Well, and narrative. there's a very distinct pantheon
0: that you probably don't know about because you're the, not, from the
1: Silmarillion. Silmarillion. Oh, so you I mean, do know about I it. I didn't read it. I watched like a six hour video on YouTube about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's there's like a there's a head god. Yeah. <laughs> and then there are like
0: kind of like these angels. Right. And Gandalf is actually one of them. Yeah.
1: And this is not a I mean it's not a one to one parallel at all. It's no. it's it's its own thing. But it's definitely not in the Christian right. world, you know. Yeah. So,
0: and and it's not even necessarily. Uh, but C.S. Lewis was overtly right. Christian uh, analogy. Yeah,
1: his his book is an allegory about Christ, right? Yeah. Which uh, I've also not read, but whatever. Oh, I have uh, Aslan. You see the movies? Nah. The, oh, well, Aslan the
0: the. The, all I know is that there's a talking lion. Yeah, the talking lion is, <laughs> talking lion is God. Yeah. And there's actually a scene where Aslan um, sacrifices himself right. and, and is tortured and killed. See, sounds familiar. And the earth shakes and all this kind of stuff. And so, so yeah. Uh, how did we get on this topic? So that was that episode in which we read random emails. If you out there want to ask Brito and I, random short questions we would appreciate that yeah because it's easier to respond to those than some of the big ones
1: yeah they turn up into short little episodes
0: <laughs> that does it for that short little episode of psychology and Seattle. thanks for joining us out there please take care of yourself because you deserve it